0: Living in an Ecological Microcosm, Virtual Reality Experience by Amber Bartosz. The Close Worlds VR experience positions you as a user within a virtual diagram of two ecological houses built in the 1970s in London and Sydney. Both houses were built as laboratories and living experiments. They were occupied by their architects as part of the experiment. Virtual reality initiates an experience through different sounds and perspectives to convey the conversion of waste to energy. Your involvement evolves as you move, following the flow of energy and materials inside the ecological microcosms. There are two choices in the virtual reality headsets, the Ecological House and the Sydney Autonomous House. The Ecological House, Graham Cain, London, 1972. One of the earliest ecological houses, the Ecological House, or Street Farm House, was built in Eltham, South London, in 1972, as a laboratory and living experiment by Graham Cain, a member of the anarchist group Street Farmers, originally formed by Peter Cromp and Bruce Hackett. The Ecological House was a fully functional integrated system that converted human waste to methane for cooking, as well as maintained a hydroponic greenhouse, with radishes, tomatoes, even bananas. Kane, then a 26-year-old fourth-year student at the Architectural Association of London, designed and built the ecological house on borrowed land from Thames Polytechnic as part of his diploma thesis at the AA. He received a provisional two-year permit from the Borough of Woolwich District Survey with the promise to build an inhabitable housing laboratory that would grow vegetables out of household effluence. And fertilise the land with reprocessed organic waste. After having lived in the house for two years with his family, Kane was asked to destroy it in 1975. Throughout the construction process, Kane used himself and his family as a guinea pig in order to test the function of several components of the house. He experimented with his waste, his cooking habits, his use of water monitoring closely every activity of daily practice until the day the house was demolished. Cain was undoubtedly the steward of the house. He alone knew how to feed the house with the right nutrients, how to chop wood, grow plants, supply the engines and water the greenhouse. The architect, therefore, was an indispensable biological part of the house he built and portrayed himself as a combustion engine for generating electricity, connected to the house in a diagram where excretion becomes a vital constituent of the system's sustenance. In many respects, the house was more grown than constructed. It needed care from its caretaker, and without human presence, its living biotechnical systems would degenerate and die. Describing his house as a life support system, Kane satirically argued that the architect now being involved with the house's biological cycles may now relate to his own shit. Research by Lydia Calipeliti The Sydney Autonomous House Sydney, 1974-1978 In the mid-1970s, architecture students at the University of Sydney gave Australia its first autonomous house. Their ambitions were grounded in broad environmental and social concerns, but more specifically responded to a global energy anxiety emerging from the 1973 oil crisis. Encouraged by the charismatic and politically engaged lecturer Colin Cole-James, around 20 excited students used scavenged and recycled materials to build a structure on campus that could test the integration of various technologies for domestic self-sufficiency. The project included a wind-driven generator for power and the students' own designs for a beer bottle, Trombe-Michel greenhouse wall, flat plate solar hot water heater and methane digester. While the students embarked on a DIY showcase for closed systems ecological design, they ended up with much more. A dozen people or more turned the structure into a home and continued to expand and tinker with it, installing a sleeping loft, growing a permaculture garden, raising goats, building a cool, Coolgardie safe, all the while monitoring and reflecting on the experience. Exploring models for more ecologically attuned design and dwelling became as important as any technical testing. In the end, what was meant to be a one-year, student-led design-build exercise spilled over into a four-year public experiment in sustainable living that gained coverage in national and international press. The house was host to a series of utopian energy fairs where children ran amongst the rabbit hutches, goat pen and the organic vegetable garden. It featured in television programs, magazine articles and was visited by thousands of people. A mail-order pamphlet distributed the students' own reflections on their strange experiment, which they'd come to call the Celluloid House due to its media profile the intermittent power supply, overheating greenhouse and malfunctioning methane digester had offered some hard lessons to offset the effusive interest. The students' faltering, sometimes naive, attempts to build a functioning autonomous house grew into a sustained everyday engagement with an assortment of issues, from environmental pollution and resource depletion to consumerism and centralised industrialization. The redesign of the domestic realm offered particular possibilities at a time when the personal was becoming articulated as political. The Sydney Autonomous House became a site where the students' private actions and budding professional practices could align with planetary needs. The emerging ecological consciousness of the 1970s manifested through building. Still, the experiment was barely tolerated by much of the faculty. University administration detested the ramshackle eyesore in their backyard. It was bulldozed in late 1978. Research by Lee Stickles